Good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome to our service this morning. My name is Cody Kohlmenner. Uh, I have the privilege of bringing God's word to us this morning. Um, yes, amen. So it has been a privilege to, uh, to study through the book of Philippians as we continue in uh, kind of our mini-series that gets put in and out while we're going through the psalm. Um, but it's been a great privilege to study with a group of guys, you know, starting through the summer, small group leaders, um, being a partner with the Word Partners, uh, trained through those principles, um, listening, communicating as we go forward. It's really been an encouragement. Uh, some of you may or may not know, um, I was able to go on a uh, kind of a short-term missions trip to Costa Rica in August, uh, where we supported uh, those pastors that are part of Word Partners there um, as they joined together for their training ministry to learn these principles that we're kind of going through here as a church um, and here as leaders and men. Um, and a part of that, I was able to um, have my own personal translator, Oscar. Um, so without him, um, I wouldn't have heard anything or gotten anything out of that, um, as I have about one freshman year semester of Spanish, and that's about all I could take with me of what I could retain from that. Um, he did an amazing job just translating what was going on um, so that I could hear, so I could understand. Um, and I was just able to really get to know him throughout that experience and just his journey and uh, what he's experienced. Um, he was a businessman, and about 40 years ago, um, he decided to just give it up, and he wanted to learn the best he could what the Bible had to say and how to interpret it. Um, that's how he got into the interpretation. So over 40 years, he learned three different languages, um, be able to speak and write that. Uh, to top it off, he learned the original Greek uh, so that he could pick out those words and have a translation. So um, it was very interesting getting to know him and his story. And as uh, the week went on, um, one of the last couple of days, we were able to, again, just talk to him about his story. And um, he shared with me because the whole time he kind of had a tablet and he was going through, he'd speak and he was looking at things. Um, and so he shared with me his own um, commentary, per se, on this app that he had. And it was different versions. There was uh, interpretation, Greek words put in there with his own explanations that he developed over the, the course of these 40 years. Now, he did uh, end up being able like, to be able to be teacher and kind of some secondary education for a source of income over that time. Um, but he really dedicated his time to learning what the word had to say and having that accurate interpretation of what it was. And I was just amazed that it wasn't for production. It wasn't for you know, publishing to put out. It was just his own study material that was really advanced um, as he would go through and show me those things. But as uh, we were going on, he shared with me that the principles uh, that he had been hearing, so keep in mind, while he was listening in Spanish, translating to me in English, um, and looking up these verses in his own app, he was able to actually retain and take away from that training these principles that were being taught. And so uh, two of the pastors of those trainer, uh, that training group that kind of ended their four-year journey are going to start a new group with some local pastors. That's the way it works. So that was a blessing there that they were able to learn the principles and train where they're now going to start a group. And uh, Oscar is going to be a part of that. Because this guy who I thought knew more than anybody probably in the room uh, heard these principles, saw what the pastors were going through, and he had a desire to know the exact transportation. So he knew what the word said, um, and so the importance of that. And so he's going to be committed over the next four years to attend those trainings and help those pastors, but for himself to learn. Um, it was just an encouraging. If that's all I took away from that mission trip, it would have been worth it uh, for his story. Uh, but just uh, an encouragement to you guys as we go through small groups, as these principles get installed, like it's not for just preachers or preparing a message or biblical scholars. It's for parents, it's for teens, it's for kids. 
Um, so really be encouraged. If you haven't joined a small group, that's kind of my mini promotion. Like it's never too late, join one. Uh, you'll learn these principles. You'll be able to uh, open your Bible and just be able to study it. It's not uh, miraculous or science. It's just uh, really... But, but I feel like I could promote word partners or missions trips or what we're doing in a small group, but I know the reason we're here this morning is to ourselves listen and communicate what the text has to say. So this morning, our text is going to be in Philippians um, chapter 1, starting us in verse 12. Now, as you guys open your uh, Bibles there or turn or swipe to it, um, a principle that I've learned, um, I've always been involved in our kids' uh, homeschooling. We do homeschool our children, and the last couple of years we've been in the CC curriculum, and so I kind of heard and helped out where I can. But this year I kind of took a big step, and now I'm one of the tutors for our once-a-week uh, gatherings. Um, and so one of the main principles I've really been able to instill and learn and know the importance of in a learning education is the practice of repetition. Um, so this morning I just have one point, one phrase that we'll put up there when it comes up, and that's just so uh, a pattern of repetition uh, strategically. When you guys go away from this meeting this morning, we're only here for half hour, 45 minutes preaching the word. Um, later on this evening, you guys can go about and know what this passage of scripture is and be able to communicate that um, effectively. Um, so I'll read it for us aloud. Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having been confident in the Lord by imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. This is the word of the Lord. So to start, uh, very simple, the book of Philippians was one of Paul's letter. He's the author of this, um, and he writes it while he is in prison, um, being captured by the Roman rule at that time. Um, and during this ministry, it's uh, that he finds himself in this prison. He, uh, also known as the prison epistles, he writes these um, various books um, throughout the Bible, like Colossians and Ephesians. Philippians is one of those uh, to get a context around where he's at and what he was writing to. He found himself in this predicament along his third missionary journey around 56 or 57 A.D. Um, he was traveling uh, primarily uh, throughout to offer relief funds to uh, those Christian or Jewish Christians in Jerusalem who uh, were enduring a famine. So he had some funds for his missionary journey, and that's why he was going and traveling. Um, so I know this from this week, so all you uh, CC kids should know. So he starts in Asia Minor, uh, and he's traveling to Jerusalem to deliver these funds. Um, on, the way, on the way there, he stops at the church at Ephesus, and during this meeting, the Holy Spirit kind of reveals to him his future coming imprisonment. Um, so a lot of the time this morning, we're going to learn um, about Paul and where he's at. Uh, so if you want to flip over to Acts uh, chapter 20, we'll be here just for a brief second um, as we're going there. So he arrived there on this missionary journey, um, and he was presented um, with this in Acts 20, verses 22 through 24. And it says, And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem... 
constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and infliction await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace of God. So here he put the Holy Spirit compelled him, uh, basically uh, made him enlightened by it, that he was going towards imprisonment if he continued toward Jerusalem. But rather preparing for the hardships, he took it as a way of this is what my ministry is for. This is what God has called me to do. The suffering that waits ahead of me is for Christ. And so he had that mindset. From there, Paul completed. He sailed uh, throughout various cities like Kos, Rhodes, Patara. Um, He found a ship, then to uh, Cyprus and Tyre. And Paul was still determined in each town in the book of Acts that records repeatedly people or things that were pointing towards if he continued to Jerusalem, affliction, suffering, imprisonment awaited him. So one well-known dramatic scene by the prophet Agabus was that he actually bound himself, and you can read about a tie there, as a sign that, hey, if you continue, this is what awaits you. If you flip over one page of uh, Acts 21, in verse 13, uh, we see here what Paul thought God was planning to use his imprisonment for. So Paul, in his answer, states, halfway through the verse, For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul already had an understanding of what this journey was going to hold for him if he continued to Jerusalem, and he was prepared for it. Um, whether it was the Holy Spirit or others or brothers and sisters in Christ, they were, he was prepared, and he kept pushing forward. So as he comes, like, why was he arrested? That was a question I had. Like, what were the circumstances around? Paul's just journeying around. He's trying... Uh, to provide uh, famine relief funds, uh, seems like a good cause. Why was he arrested, or what was the spirits around that? Uh, so when he got to Jerusalem, he was staying in, with Mason, and he received uh, the next day, I imagine he met uh, with those church leaders in the book of James. You can read uh, that they were meeting there, um, and these rumors started going around that he was made aware of. And the rumors were that he was teaching something that wasn't of Jewish origin, that he was... Um, concerned, and the, those leaders there were concerned that Paul was teaching a false testimony against that of the Jewish tradition um, and their practices. Um, and so it probably indicates that um, Paul, you know, through this ministry said, hey, prison and affliction are going to await you. He gets there. He's got a good cause he's supporting. He meets with them. He gives them the funds, and then it's not very well received. Paul probably doesn't get the, the gratitude that they have. Um, his goal, it says, was Uh, in the scriptures there, that uh, they might receive him as full brothers in Christ because they kind of had these Jewish Christians might not uh, view that in the same light. So instead of that, these rumors started to, and the circumstances started to change with the leaders there in Jerusalem. But I do want to take a moment so we can see as these things start what the actual truth is because that's what we're seeking. So these rumors were saying that he himself uh, was encouraging the Jewish tradition to not follow those traditions. Um, but in 1 Corinthians, I'll read it for us, in 9, 21 he has what his motivation and goal was. Listen to the way he describes these matters. He says, To the Jew I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, 
that I might win those under the law. And then to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not actually being outside the law, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. You can hear this confidence in Paul's tone that he's using throughout the scripture, that even though these rumors were being spread, we have witness that, nope, what he was actually doing um, throughout many was he would sit with Jewish, he wouldn't oppose uh, their traditions, but in a light say that, um, yes, because of the death and burial of Christ, you don't have to actually Jew or Gentile to proceed with those traditions, um, but in a way um, that we are hospitable, um, was able to relate with those people, not push those in any means. And this man's influence kept going forward, right? Regardless of this, he kept going. Regardless of rumors or imprisonment, he kept going forward. We see this kind of action today in our movies like uh, the movie 300 or Braveheart or Cinderella Man, like these people that are being told time and time again, you can't do it, you can't do it, and yet they keep pushing forward, right? They keep pushing and standing firm for what they believe in. So this is the mindset. Paul is now in prison for this. Uh, he gets to town. They were uprighted. They thought he was giving false. Romans had to take him because of the chaos and the port they were having. And now he's in prison and writing to this church in Philippians that he had started. All right? Um, so in this encouraging way, he tells pastors or uh, the church uh, in the first couple of 11 verses, he stated, by encouraging the church on what he seed God do in them, what he knows God will do in them, and what he prays God will do in them. Um, and those are the points from our first message. Uh, you can look that up if you've missed that from Nick. So this is where we start in verse 12. So let's read it for a second time. Verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, believers in the church, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. He wanted them to know loud and clear that what he was there for, right, regardless of that, um, he's saying, look, this is what's happened to me, but this is the result of that. And he uses this and to continue us through verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak without fear. His reactions were not only affecting Christians, but non-Christians, as he mentions um, those imperial guards. So not only those in the, the Jewish Christian or Christian worldview, but those imperial guards, non-Christians, knew why he was there and the reason he was there. And this resulted in those uh, other Christians being able to speak up without fear, knowing, hey, Paul's in prison because of this, but I gave him those encouragement, this leadership quality of following, yes, I can speak without fear and proclaim the good news, even though imprisonment is something that is a cause of this. So we continue uh, with some heavy things here um, as we transition now to the next couple of verses. You have the question of why. This encouraging letter, right? It's supposed to be meant to encourage and uplift, uh, give confidence to those readers. Um, he has this uh, different types of people he brings up, and he compares them. So I want to point out the two different types of people he brings up. Verse 15, it states, Some indeed preach Christ from envy, rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the God. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not necessarily but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So the differences in these, some do it out of envy, rivalry, their selfish intent there that you can read. 
and the others out of goodwill, out of love, compassion, right? But what's the same? That they both preach Christ. So it says there, and both of the former that preach Christ and afterwards. So both these people have different motives, right? That's the difference, their heart in it, um, their motivation for preaching, but they both preach Christ. So why does he bring this up when he's proclaiming the good news? Well, we ask some more questions, and Paul actually has his own question in 18. He just states, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. He saved a simple, a simple question. So what? Right? He hears these rumors, these people that are doing it out of self ambition meant to afflict him or put him down. So what? I rejoice that Christ is proclaimed. So Paul notes that one of his goals in this missionary journey is to make the gospel known to those who have not heard it. In Romans 15, it says, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, least I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never heard or have been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. His greatest desire was that the word would be preached and people would know the good news. And even in his circumstances, he's able to write, I rejoice because that has happened. And not because of what has happened to him or his own circumstance, but because the advancement of the gospel. We see this pattern throughout Scripture, not only here with Paul. That brings up the story of Jonah. If you're unfamiliar with Jonah, a prophet sent to a wicked city to proclaim the good news that they might be revealed of God's wrath put on them. Through a series of events, he actually gets brought and humbled by God and brought back to that place. Um, preaches, advancing the gospel, the good news to that city. And even the king and the whole town turn. It's a, a wonderful story. But at the very end of it, reading from Jonah, it says, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. doesn't sound like a mentality of someone going and preaching the good news, hoping that the city would be saved. He's more or less just doing it, been told to do it, and yet miraculous things happen. Regardless of Jonah's intent, regardless of his attitude, a whole city transformed and turned the proclamation of the gospel. We see this throughout Exodus. Uh, they went through a few weeks ago, or series ago, before Psalms, and we see it throughout the Old Testament as the kings, governments, different people that have been used they try to put the gospel down, take it away, destroy uh, temples, um, capture those Israelites, but yet God uses people to advance the gospel and advance the message. Uh, this week in my small group, I was actually reminded of another example. Last week, Ray uh, gave a great analogy of uh, David and his sin with Bathsheba and how God came out of that. Um, and through that sin, that wicked sin that you could say that David had, came the line of Jesus. Regardless of what man does, God advances the gospel through people. So throughout all history till today, we've had the same thing. We've seen massacres, um, different uh, leaders come up, different countries that try to suppress the word of God, but yet we can still read this morning the inerrant, all-knowing word of truth because of the advancement of the gospel. So this morning, as we hear this, this encouraging letter this, too, could be something, yes, encouraging that God will do it, 
right? Oh, it's encouraging the Philippians to hold strong, to speak without fear. Is it meant to encourage us? Is it meant to uplift us? So one question is, where's God through this story, right? Is it supposed to be using those? And I think one of the main points is that God will forever, until Christ returns, use sinful individuals to advance the gospel. All right, we see this uh, in our own current time frame of living um, in the public school system. Uh, We went to uh, a school system that I can still remember that you started with the pledge, you had a prayer, right? Uh, Creation was taught, um, those sorts of things uh, that we had um, stated in our schools to a school system that has taken it away. No pledge. Um, I've talked to several school teachers uh, and the troubles that they have with even being able to, with current culture, uh, with gender identity and all that, that you are not allowed to speak against anything. Um, the culture is teaching that it is unloving to tell someone that they're wrong. And yes, there are unloving ways to do that and to force your opinion, but this is the where we're at, the suppression of the word. And so maybe the question that we keep asking, we see these stories in history, um, our news cycles of this, or, oh, look at that, this is so horrible, like, what more is the world going to do to suppress it? What more is the world going to do to go away from a biblical view? might not be the right question to, like, how do we stop it? And how do we... It might be, who is God using to speak up without fear in this situation? Who is God using to advance the gospel regardless of the circumstances? Uh, my son Clay um, is really into uh, the Romans right now. Um, reads books on them, watches uh, the history shows, uh, into their way of life, their military. Um, and so one time um, through this, we were able to see um, and talk about, because one thing he really likes is their military um, and this shield and shore that he really likes to play with, right? Um, and so we talk about the shield and what it's used for. Um, so what is the, uh, what's the formation that they do? Remember? Okay, yes, the, the turtle, uh, where they all group together, right, with their shield in hand, and they put it all over themselves, creating like a turtle shell, stopping the enemy. So what? So that they could stay put and withstand it? No, so that they could all move together towards it, right? So earlier I was able to, uh, to take this, and knowing that I was preaching, go through that there's actually an analogy that Paul uses in Corinthians about the armor of God. And so what does the shield represent? Well, the shield represents faith. And so a simple definition of faith is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. The reason it's a shield, and that's the analogy, is that someone is Christ. And that's who you can put your faith in completely. Just like they would put it, I mean, it's got to be pretty good if I'm going into battle, and this is the only thing I'm holding up to withstand arrows and swords, right? I'm putting faith that that's going to stop that. And I'm going to push forward with that. Um, and so I was able to share with them uh, a couple of weeks ago um, a great thing with our men's study. Um, I'm not a comic, don't get into the Marvel series or whatever, but it was brought to me and it was just great, so I had to use it. Um, so I am uh, not my own idea, but it related to Clay, to the shield, to this idea of, of this faith. So Captain America, with his shield in hand, says, It doesn't matter what the press says, doesn't matter what the politicians or the mob say, doesn't matter if the whole country decides that something wrong is something right. This nation was founded on one principle above all else, the requirement that we stand up for what we believe, no matter the odds or the consequences. When the mob and the press and the whole world tell you to move, your job is to plant yourself like a tree beside the river of truth and tell the whole world, no, you move. 
See, Paul had a choice. He could have chosen all of those things as he proceeded to Jerusalem to say no. Or nope, it, is, you know, it might not be a good time to cause this commotion and, and uplift God's word. No, I'll go over here. I'll do it in a silent way. And he said no. You move your worldview. You move your truth. This is what I believe because I am here for Christ. This is why he was imprisoned. So God uses this throughout his whole redemptive story. People who have said no, you move against culture. There have been recent times in our church history in the Western world of great church leaders choosing to move, right? Choosing to step down from those points. Some have failed, some have just chosen to step aside, but I can still do a Google search and find messages that proclaim Christ, right? Sometimes the negative stories, we get caught up in this worldview of the negative news and the negative outcome of things, and oh, look at this great thing, oh, but it fell, right? Oh, this great church, but now it's divided. Look at the mess it's created, the people that are hurt by it. Is that the takeaway? Was their ministry before that event not useful for the advance of the gospel? There's something we learned this morning that regardless of that, and why Paul can say he can rejoice because of the advancement of the gospel. These leaders, it's not now uh, something that, oh, they weren't preaching the gospel because they it was useful for the advancement of the gospel. And in that, we can rejoice in those times. I think the second thing this points out is our lack of faith. Our lack of faith because of the influence we get with men in power, uh, with churches that are uplifted, with uh, main speakers and influencers of our time, even political leaders, the power that they have is maybe our lack of faith in what God is doing. This mentality of we can buckle down and do it, right? We don't need the shield, right? We don't need faith in Christ. That if the world teaching of we buckle down, you can do anything, you put your heart's desire to, put all your energy into that, you can overcome odds, these great stories. But what's the Bible say? Do not think of yourselves, but to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's where you put your energy. That's where you put your time and your commitment. And and that we can see. I know this last year was, or year and a half now, it seems like has been hard with everybody with COVID. It's kind of challenged everybody's faith in a time. Questions about, like, what's God doing in this, right? Because we've seen businesses close, churches have to close, people have to change jobs, this heartache, right? Um, I was able to, in, in Costa Rica, uh, able to witness this uh, with the other pastors, the two that I mentioned, that Fabian and, and Rafael, who are going to start this group. Uh, during a couple of their uh, due sessions or sermons, hear the heartache that even COVID has caused globally. Because while here in the United States, uh, we passed you know, laws that, oh, you can't evict people if they don't pay rent, like they get to stay there. Um, other things as far as uh, relief funds, uh, businesses, you got to freeze rates, can't go up, those kind of things, right? Well, that wasn't the case everywhere. Um, in Costa Rica, that wasn't the case at all. Actually, the um, electricity um, is something provided by the government, um, and those rates went up, and things started to go up immediately. They didn't get relief because we didn't tour there. We didn't go to their resorts. Um, there was a lot of hurt and heartache there. Um, and so these church leaders, they were able to share these powerful messages and emotional content of not being able to know if they could keep the lights on. Um, I know Raphael shared about like maybe selling the building and meeting in homes because they couldn't support that. 
um, just over learning about this group for the short time I was there, through this four years period of training that they were brought together, they had two pastors of the group die. They had this anxiety and fear of COVID and the things that had happened, but yet they came prepared that week to share emotional heartache and joy because they could proclaim the good news to their towns. Um, it was just an amazing thing to see. So it was regardless of their circumstances that they had that joyful heart. And so maybe this morning the question would be to you, are you a person that is consumed with maybe what your circumstances are currently? Have you been a person that may be hurt by an influential leader or someone who was influential in your life, and maybe you see the hurt from it and not the joy? Or a kid, if you're in public schools, do you see the children becoming more and more worldly against what you're seeing with your church friends, and you wonder where you're going to fit in? Do any of these circumstances bring your own identity into the mix and where you fit in, right, and where you call home? So this text this morning is meant to bring encouraging, but it also is meant to be a reminder of where our faith is. So we're to hold up our shield to rejoice, to push back and proclaim, regardless of the circumstances that we might be in, regardless of the outcome that might be us, because as Paul wrote, it wasn't him that he was concerned. He rejoiced because it was Christ that was proclaimed regardless. At the core of Paul's rejoicing, it was in suffering that he was able to do that through the person and work of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what the motives were, Christ was being proclaimed. God used that at suffering to advance the gospel, and they would see the ultimate sacrifice, the suffering of Jesus Christ on the cross, held up, suffered, so that the advancement of the gospel could go to every tribe, every nation, and every tongue. The circumstances do you find your life in that may be causing you this grief or this suffering that maybe the world views as suffering, but can you find a way to rejoice in it? Or maybe you know somebody that there's somebody you need to pray for this coming week to stand firm, or maybe even to give yourself courage to hold your shield up of faith and say, no, this is where I draw the line, this is where I am not going to move, and I'm going to put my faith in Christ so that the good news may be proclaimed through that. See, regardless of any circumstances, the gospel will be proclaimed. Is God choosing to use you to do that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this text this morning. We just thank you for the encouraging letter and the people that you've used. As Paul even stated, he knew what he was going into, and yet he chose to do it knowing that he suffering and affliction and imprisonment was awaiting him. Lord, may we be a people that go from this place this week with this message, speaking without fear the truth of what the word says. Regardless of the world, regardless of personal affliction, Lord, that you would use us to advance this gospel. Use it so that the next generation will speak out without fear because of the leadership of the parents, the grandparents that we have here at Northbridge, here in Cooper. Lord, we have a tremendous influence, but we are also human, Lord. We also have fear and anxiety, Lord, that you have put there to distill within us, Lord, that we would pursue the advancement of the gospel. 
your name we pray.